execution still beats gimmicks every day in recruiting. And yeah. a lot of times we talk to customers and they're like, this is how we close a talent. Our CEO talks to them and then our board member talks to them and then an investor talks to them. And, and our question is like, why? What are we selling right. at that point? Because if the, you have the job they want, you don't have to do those things. If you're a startup and they want to work in a startup, like you're already 60% of the way there in that discussion. So I think mm-hmm. we see a lot of gimmicks that not only are they poorly executed, but the intent is it's the wrong solution to begin with. Hi, I'm Jason Evanish, CEO of Lighthouse, and this is the Creating High-Performing Teams podcast. We aim to be the most actionable podcast you've ever heard on leadership and management, where we give you the exact advice you need to be a better leader across a variety of topics. Today, I'm here with an amazing guest. His name is Aaron Wilson, and he is a huge expert on hiring. And so we're going to be talking about a bunch of great things related to hiring and managing your team. Aaron is a family man first one of the founders of an awesome startup called Team AI, and he is a forever faithful 49ers fan. Aaron is someone who fell into recruiting and since has fallen in love with the idea of talent engineering. He and Team AI are on a mission to change the way the world hires forever. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. It's good to see you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron actually was an early customer of Lighthouse, which was uh, awesome to uh, have him involved with that. And I've learned so much from him from on recruiting and hiring that I knew I had to have him on the show. The first thing that, that I really wanted to understand, Aaron, I, I feel like you've talked to so many people over the years and helped so many people with recruiting. I'm sure you've seen a lot of really common mistakes. And so what do you see are the most common kind of mistakes that managers make in their hiring process? And what are the consequences of those? Yeah, how much time do we have? <laughs> no, let's be actionable here. I think two two things, let's call it out. It's really common for hiring managers to get out and start interviewing to hire before they're ready to hire. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think you know, the big piece is make sure you're ready to hire before you start the interview process. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd love to highlight really quickly is many hiring managers make decisions without using data, mm-hmm. even worse, without even being aware of the data, which is, is pretty easy to access. And in turn, they end up making pretty important decisions based on uh, their gut instinct or something closer to an insecurity. But those are definitely really common ones. I've seen those myself, certainly probably made a few of those mistakes. I think in particular though, you said making hiring decisions without data. I think to a lot of people, they just think, oh, I'm gonna talk to a bunch of people and I'm gonna rule some people out and narrow it down and then I'm gonna pick somebody. So where does data come in? What, is, what does it mean to hire with data? Yeah, I'd love to follow up. I, I think we have to reframe it in context of what problem are we trying to. Hiring is still a solution to a problem, and so we're hiring. The problem we're trying to solve is we need to hire the best person for the role or the person for the role in a given period of time. Uh, and in order to do that, we might want to understand data or benchmarks out in the market so that we can mm-hmm. measure our progress or success over time. For example, how long does it take you to go from a first round interview to getting an offer in a candidate's hands? From start to finish, how long does that take? When your team decides to hire somebody and you make an offer, how uh, effective are you? What is your offer acceptance rate? Mm-hmm. And what is that compared to others in the market? And so those are a couple examples of what we'd consider data or more, maybe more so benchmarks of a healthy hiring process. Mm-hmm. 
That's great. So the idea is to, if I'm understanding it as a manager is I want to understand these things because I need to know whether I'm actually doing a good job or where maybe a step in the process isn't as good as most people. Absolutely. And just to tie it home, hiring is an iterative game, which hiring managers and I know product management where you have so much expertise, you have to know that. And, and this is the point is where, how do you iterate without knowing where you're at that process? And I would encourage hiring managers to start there. Absolutely. And so thinking about those three mistakes, so you said it's interviewing before they're ready to making the decision based on insecurities and not having data. What are the consequences? What happens because of making those mistakes? Yeah, I'll try to be short in the sense that one, one of the biggest consequences is just inefficiency. And what we see out in the market at TMI is it's really common for uh, a hiring manager to spend three to 400 hours per hire. Wow. There's a better way. And in fact, in healthy processes, you can get that down to 30 or 40 hours per hire. So th th these approaches lead to inefficiency. They lead to ineffectiveness, right? So running into the hiring process and making someone an offer before you're really prepared to execute on what you're offering that person many times leads to turndowns and mm, rejection. Yeah. And then I would say, you know, churn is another one, Jason. If your focal point is finding people and you, and you're not taking an empathetic approach, you'll churn a lot of your pipeline and efforts. And, and that wears on you and your team. Um, so, so that churn you mean is actually losing people before you even get the chance to hire them. It, you're not talking about turnover where the hire doesn't even work out. Correct. I'm talking self-select out of your pipeline. Some you yeah. see, some you don't, but it comes. And that's, some, that's one of the hardest ones because they don't see all the churn, which right. they have the false positive. Hey, everyone I put into this take-home test likes it. <laughs> but you're not, and, I, yeah. and, and probably a piece that, you know, is where our passion, if you're not taking some of the advice we throw out on this call, you're going to end up with homogeneous teams. The mm -hmm. idea of being really inclusive and building a diverse workforce is not in reach. We'll put it that way. Absolutely. And I think one of the underrated things are around, like when you talk about homogeneous teams is that if you're not intentional about like your interview process and the kinds of questions you ask, you can actually end up with not only a lack of diversity maybe in what people look like in their backgrounds, but also a lack of diversity in how people think and the ideas they bring to the table. Because if you really like an interview process that's borrowed from like McKinsey Consulting, don't be surprised if all you're able to do is hire people who previously worked at McKinsey, who then means they likely also previously went to an Ivy League and have a very specific set of like kinds of degrees and backgrounds and things like that. Yeah, absolutely love that. And again, it seems trivial, but you can run out with a half-baked interview plan and feel like you're building the strongest team. But if you haven't considered the Wi-Fi signal for the folks you're reaching out to, then you haven't really thought through it that much. And so I think there's a lot of details to get into, but you nailed it perfectly, Jay. Sorry, what do you mean by Wi-Fi signal? Oh, I just mean, it's again, it's really common when you think about an interview process hey, I'm going to roll something out. We're going to run these three processes mm -hmm. and that's always worked for me. Yeah. Like uh, McKinsey Bain. So I'm going to do yeah. that again. Yeah. Well, that's really counterintuitive to assume that every single person has an equal access to mm -hmm. 5G Wi-Fi network where they can get on a Zoom call and <laughs> do a five-hour case study where they've had <laughs> yeah. and, and that's where I was going with that. Okay, very cool. So thinking about these common mistakes, those three are just so big. What can managers do to maybe avoid or fix some of these mistakes? Yeah, let's make this digestible. I, the first yeah. thing I would always recommend is start simple. Usually hiring managers want to write job descriptions. Yeah. 
that's too complicated, right? How about just start with what we call a user story, which okay. is essentially four to six questions that make you think a little bit and explain the connectivity tissue behind a job description, right? Mm -hmm. That an individual wants. Yeah. So let's start simple. Complete a user story, not a business plan. Don't go yeah. out and do the job description where you're gonna post all the ads and all those things, okay. I think the second thing is you gotta design with empathy, right? When you think about your interview plan or your, your interview stages, why don't we start by reverse engineering that process from the job seeker's point of view or mm -hmm. another human's point of view outside mm -hmm. of your own? Again, it's really common. We do these because it saves us time. And that's the logic for an interview uh, plan. Mm -hmm. When in turn, we could think about um, what is that person doing right now? They're at work. They're a family member. Yeah. They're, then they're also interviewing, right? So are we thinking yeah. about those things? And then the third piece is, just that data awareness. Hiring is not a perfect game. It's really common for hiring managers to hold out, to keep sourcing or keep interviewing. It may pay them to know that the best teams in the world, they hire one person for every seven unique people they see for a job. So as a hiring manager, if I open a job, yeah and I interview seven different people and make a hiring decision, I'm gonna make a very good hiring decision, turns out. Uh, I don't need to see 45 people. I don't have to <laughs> oh, have I've one. Oh, I've seen that before. Great, right? Oh, hey, yeah. J hey, Jason, you're perfect for the job and you want it and it's perfect, but I haven't seen 25 or 30 people. I literally had that happen to me. That has literally happened to me where I interviewed at a company and literally they said, Hey, we really like you, but we don't, we're not ready to bring you on for the final interview step because we sampling of more candidates first. And they literally ended up ghosting me. And to this day, it's like a sour taste on my mouth or I'm like, this is insane. And I literally then had other people who, when I was networking my way to, to look for a job earlier in my career, where they literally told me like, Hey, it's great to meet you. But as the hiring manager, I like to sample people and you're really good. So can you wait six weeks to apply? And it's just, there's so many things that like drove me crazy about that. So I've absolutely seen that. And I think a lot of people overestimate how many, like even I was like, wait, seven's enough. Like I started thinking about my own hiring and there's definitely plenty of times I've hired one of the first seven people I talked to, but mm -hmm. to hear that in general, that's the case is really encouraging and interesting that like you can actually get to what's probably a very good hire much faster than I think a lot of people may think they need. Absolutely, and you can use this to measure yourself, right? If you're a new hiring manager listening to this podcast and, you're, and you've interviewed six people and you don't feel like you're even close to hiring for your role, it doesn't mean you're a bad hiring manager. This could be the first time you're hiring for that role. This mm -hmm. could be the first time your company's hiring for that position. This could be your first time hiring as a hiring manager. There mm -hmm. are reasons to have more reps or take more cycles. Mm -hmm. But in a healthy environment, right, there's no place for that ego of, hey, I know how to hire and I need to meet a whole bunch of people because it's perfection. And I think that's the point we want to get away from. Again, you're trying to solve a problem, right? There yeah. are variables that have come before your time that show this is an effective way to do that. And at Team AI, we're just trying to communicate those constantly and equip people so they can go out and execute. Yeah, that's awesome. So going back to the, the, the first point then, I know you talked about start with a user story of four or six questions to make you think a little bit about the role you want to hire. Do you have maybe a, a favorite example or maybe a blog post from the Team AI blog or something like that that you could uh, that we could link to in the show notes? 
Yeah, I'm sure we can share something, but I'm happy okay. to share it live. I think the questions for everyone to think about question, why, what's the business need behind this hire? What per, on a scale of one to 10, how hands-on is this position? An example, eight representing 80% hands-on. How big is the existing team? Mm -hmm. two, five, or 10, what's the current composition of that team? Very senior, very junior, et cetera. In the first six months, what will this person produce in the role? Yeah. And notice produce is an important word because we're not looking for tasks, right? What are the work products this hire will be measured on? Yeah. And then we ask compensation up front. So that's one more. We ask to see how educated the customer is from a base salary standpoint. What do you expect? What's your range for this role? And I'll give you a one more, Jay. The one last one, have you ever hired for this position before? And in any case, do you have an interview plan? Please share. And this is my favorite one. The question at the end is one of my favorites. So one, I want to let you know that we pull this data across hundreds of hiring managers. Almost 40% of the roles we see being hired for, the mm -hmm. person hiring for it has never hired for it before. Right? So, in 40% of the roles we see, somebody's hiring for something they've never hired for before. It's yeah. their first time doing it. I think that's huge. And the second piece is almost everyone says yes to the interview plan question, but the real answer is no. They say yes, they have a couple thoughts. They don't have a plan like who are the five people that are gonna interview this person and what are each of those people going to cover in the interview? Yeah. But those are the ones. You know what I'm saying? Job descriptions don't answer those questions very often. Yeah, yeah. And that's the point we're trying to get at there. Yeah. Uh, that's great. That's great. Cool. So we'll make sure to include that in the show notes. And, and Aaron, I'll follow up with you afterwards uh, to see if there's any post or anything like that we should direct people to to dive in more of that. Because I think this is very important. So many jobs, this is very clear. Like I think actually part of the reason that people interview so many people is they're literally iterating on their process and using human beings who they could maybe use a little more empathy for in the interview process. They're using them as their guinea pigs to perfect their process when a little bit more thought up front would both be you know, more empathetic to the candidates and save you a lot of time because now instead of interviewing 25, 30 people to get to a decision because the first 15 are throwaways, you're actually finding the right candidates faster. Absolutely. And just applying focus on a per candidate basis, not to reiterate exactly what you said, but you know, what we hear so often, unfortunately in recruiting is the third prospect they meet and they really want to hire and they're like, oh, I'll just put them through. And that's a real, that's a real comment. Yeah. Hiring managers make and it's like, how about no? How about it's only the third person you meet and I bet by four more, you're going to hire someone. So let's just yeah. keep moving let's tell this person not to waste their time. Yeah. So that's that awareness piece. It's nuance is there, but you got to know. Yeah. That's great. And then when we talked about empathy here, totally understand like for scheduling or if you ask them to do a, ta a task or small project, all those sorts of things you absolutely want to keep in mind, you know, what that person's life is like and what they actually is like feasible to ask of them to do, whether it be what time of day they can do a step in the interview or how they can get time off or how much time they need to complete a task, not because of the length of the task, but because of other demands in their life. I think another part of it is the actual experience in the interview. So I'm curious, how do you feel about things like surveying candidates at the end of the interview process, whether you hire them or not to get, to maybe get some feedback on how they felt about your company's interview process. I'm a fan of data, so yeah. let's start there. I do find challenges with okay. this approach. I think surveying a consumer when they're still in the buying process is tough. And so a lot of the systems today are geared to send that survey out within a few days of 
the interview or mm -hmm. the decision. And I think that's an interesting time to collect data. If a candidate's in your hiring process, what are the odds that they give you objective, constructive feedback? If they just had a decision shared with them, and in most cases with no supporting evidence or transparency, again, I'm not sure the content we learn is going to be the most effective. Where we think surveying candidates is the most effective mm -hmm is in a call that is executed right after they speak to the hiring manager of the hiring organization. When we set up individuals to speak with hiring managers, we yep. also set up a candidate exchange or candidate debrief with the prospect following that call of the hiring manager. And in that sense, we consider that a survey and we run it like clockwork. When you ask candidates what they think coming out of that interview, they'll tell you. And they'll tell you very openly, we frame it as, what have you learned? What do you still want to learn? Is there mm -hmm. any feedback? And yeah, yeah. they see that as a tool while they're in the middle of the process to improve their experience. So that's been the way we, we survey. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen as much application of that survey on the end result. Um, yeah. That's fair. Ironically, I have found that in the vast majority of cases, uh, the companies that actually survey my friends or myself when we've been looking for jobs are the ones that that had the fewest problems. The ones that like ghost you, the ones that have you know jagged process where they lose track of steps and things like that. But they're the ones who aren't doing a lot of the things. And so I've always wondered whether the survey was like a you know false positive in that if you're surveying it's not even the act of surveying that matters it's the fact that you're detail oriented enough that you'd bother to do one not so much that the survey actually helps that much jason you couldn't be more right and in, in one of my previous experiences we ran greenhouse powered candidate surveys yep. and i'm carte blanche data guy so i said i want every candidate in every stage no matter what happens to get a survey okay and we'll see what happens <laughs> and it just supported your point. Yeah. We were running a tight ship. The survey data came back and looked good. And so what I appreciated as a head of recruiting was it showed the work we were doing. As a person who wanted to improve the general candidate experience, we already had a beat before that data ever showed up. Yeah. What it was really incredible for though, however, was finding those edge cases. So we could extract the deeper survey data and say, wow, 94% of prospects think we show up to interviews ready to go. Yeah, But this one scored us a two. And so you still can get into that detractor and reach yeah. out and turn that single brand impression into, a, into a, an advocate for your brand. And so, again, I think there's tons of deeper value. But to your point, the survey itself isn't the value. It's what are you going to do with that data? Do you have the team and, and the attention to detail? Absolutely. That's great. So one of the other things I've noticed in my career, I've done a lot of early stage stuff, whether it be as a founder or a product leader in an early company. And I've seen the full gamut, had lots of beers with friends comparing notes. And what you run into is there are a variety of situations and different kinds of relationships that a hiring manager can have with the recruiting and HR team related to hiring. That can be everything from when there's no recruiting help at all because you're too early stage, you haven't even hired your first HR person or HR is underwater and paying down what I would call HR debt. So they have no time for recruiting. That's They're great. just trying to keep the company from getting like legally in trouble with some hacky, hacky payroll or administrative things they were doing. Then there's the, hey, these recruiters are actually experts. How should I lean on a team that clearly knows what they're doing and wants to support me? And then you know, the times where recruiting maybe is understaffed or overwhelmed or otherwise can't consistently help you. And so I think there's different tactics that can help you in each of those scenarios. So I was hoping we could run through a couple of those. So starting out, if you're at a, you're a hiring manager listening to this podcast and there's no recruiting help, one reason or another, it's literally you're on your own. What should you do? 
Yeah, I love it. See these buckets all the time. Let's start there. The first thing you got to do is verify that the role that you're about to go hire for is actually important to somebody else in the company besides you, <laughs> Jason. Okay. If you don't have recruiting support, there may be, a, so I would check into that. What we see in recruiting is that the roles are prioritized, but not communicated very often downstream. Ah, okay. So it may be okay for you to hire for that person, but somebody doesn't think it's a top priority, therefore you're not getting support. It's a very mm -hmm. common use case. So number one we would say is just make sure it's a real approved role, right? Yeah. And that's number one. Number two, tap your HR recruiting team, see if they've invested in any type of self-service tool. Mm -hmm. So like uh, greenhouses and stuff like that? Exactly. Have, yeah. have they built any uh, additional documentation? Have they used any type of loom or any, anything to help you get running yeah. with the existing process? Make the yeah. lift easier for you. If they've created it, they want you to use it. Yeah. So go look and see if you got it. And then I would just say beyond that, the third thing is um, leverage your resources outside the company. I don't know many folks who are hiring managers who don't know at least one recruiter. So I would push <laughs> yeah. back and say, hey, Offer a virtual coffee, meet with somebody who's trained in recruiting or a really skilled hiring manager, yep. get together with them and explain the situation and say, look, I'm on my own. I'm a team of one, right? I want to accomplish some things over the next few months. Where do you think I should focus my time? Mm -hmm. And they're going to be able to give you answers based on their battle scars. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, that's, and that's where I would spend my How are you really doing as a manager? What does your team think of you and how can you improve? These are common questions every good manager has, but if you don't find out the answers to them, you're not going to become the best manager you can be. Instead, you risk being blindsided by surprise turnover or secret frustrations your team has about you that you never even knew about. To become a great manager means investing in yourself. You need to build the right habits, measure how you're doing, and learn new skills to keep improving. That's why we built Lighthouse Pro. It includes everything you need to be a great leader, including our one-on-one -on -one software to help you build and keep the right habits to build great relationships with your team. Our manager score benchmarking survey that gives you anonymous feedback from your team on how you're really doing and how you can improve based on your score. And we give you access to our Lighthouse Lessons program to learn new skills you can immediately apply to your team to bring out their best. Getting access to Lighthouse Pro starts by signing up for a 21-day free trial of Lighthouse. You can see today how you can have better one-on-ones and much more that makes you a better manager at GetLighthouse.com now. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I think that gives people some ideas regardless of the size. So first of all, I think it's important, as Aaron emphasized in his first point, like don't assume that you don't have support just because they didn't come to you. If you do have a team, at least make them aware of your, of your hiring plan to see if maybe they can eke out a little bit of support or like he said, share some materials. But if you don't have that and you truly are on your own because you're at that early stage of startup, you're going to save yourself a lot of rookie painful mistakes and goofed candidates like we talked about earlier. If you just talk to somebody who has a couple of those battle scars, whether it be, hey, you're a founder listening to this, talk to other founders who have hired and scaled up teams. They're going to have learned a lot about recruiting. And if you're a mid-level leader looking to somebody who you think has done a great job of hiring or maybe the best person who ever hired you, ask them, asking them for great advice tip. is the best way to, to hack them. Okay, let's talk about the, the ideal scenario. So if you're a hiring manager and you know that you have a pretty good recruiting organization, but maybe you're working with them for the first time and aren't used to actually having their support, how can somebody actually take full advantage of good recruiters if maybe they've never had that kind of experience before? 
Yeah, I love this. First and foremost, if they're already skilled and efficient, the first thing you can do is acknowledge that. Acknowledge that they're already doing something well. Approach them like a partner, not like an agency or client service function, which is very common, and yeah. start there. I think besides acknowledging it, understand what is their cadence? Who, what are the roles and responsibilities of the team? It's really important, just like any other functional group in the business, if they're performing at a high level, it's because they have clear drive, they have specialization, and they're executing at a high level. Your goal as a hiring manager is to plug into that. So I would, I'll be a little long-winded there because I, I want to just pay uh, homage to great recruiting teams out there who've got their shit figured out. Plug into it. The best thing you can do from there is make their life easy, right? If they're mm -hmm. running well, they know what they need to do their job. So ask them those questions. Lead with curiosity. Hey, mm -hmm. what do you need from me to help you do your job? Yeah. How can we move quicker? If you ask the questions that you know are important to you, they're also important to the recruiters, they're going to execute through with you. We're the most responsive people in the company. <laughs> That's who recruiters are. You cut down on yeah. the latency by being clear about what you want. We will deliver for you. So I think in short, as make their job really easy. And then in turn, they'll make your recruiting or your life as a hiring manager really easy. Totally, totally. Yeah, I think people underrate cross-department communication a lot of times, and this is certainly one of those times where it's like, they're there to help, but if you can make their life a little bit easier, it's help me help you. That's right. So let's talk about that middle of the road. So you don't have nothing, and you don't have the superstar dream team for your recruiting. What, what do you do when maybe you're in that kind of middle of the road situation where maybe the recruiting team is understaffed, they're a little overwhelmed, or it feels like they're a little inconsistent in how they can help you? How do you manage that situation where you have some help, but maybe not perfect help? And so like, how do you manage that when maybe your priority isn't their priority and it's not really anyone's fault? It's just a fact of life that you have an imperfect situation to collaborate with the recruiting team. Yeah, and this is a tricky one because recruiters want, by nature, we want to be responsive. We want to help. We don't yeah. want to let people down. In, in the scenario we're describing, we're set up to do that over and over again. It's also tricky for the hiring manager. In the example where you're self-service, it's easy. You get no help. Yeah. If you're with a good team, it's easy. They do pretty much everything. Right. In the middle, it's really murky and it's a job you've never done before mm -hmm. or is not your number one job. And so here are a couple quick tips. Number one, as the hiring manager, you have to be the driver. You have to be the proactive. You have to chase the recruiting team down, which in many cases, it's the other way around. We're happy to chase you down. It's our job. Yeah. But if you're in bucket C here, if you're getting pseudo coverage or you're <laughs> underwater, you yeah. got to be throwing life, ra life rafts out and then they'll come over to you. So that's one. Mm -hmm. I think two is oh, what's important to you. You don't know all the things they're working on all the time. Mm -hmm. So as a hiring manager, you have to constantly reprioritize with your recruiter to get the most out of their effort. So if I know my recruiting team's underwater, two things are true. One, when I ask them to come work with me, I better be ready to execute. Because if I do that a few times and I'm not ready, they'll stop coming when I ask. <laughs> but the two is once we get into that meeting, I still have to be able to help them focus even more. So if I'm a hiring manager with two roles, and I bring a recruiter into the meeting, the recruiter is thinking, how can I fill both of these roles for my partner, whether mm -hmm. they're saying it or not? Yeah. They're not good at saying, hey, manager, I can only work out on one of these. Which one should I work on if that's the case? And, and mm -hmm. I really got to ask the hiring managers to step up and help continue to prioritize. Hey, I just had a meeting over here. That role is going to be less important. Let's put all our focus on this one. Right? And that mm -hmm. level of granularity is going to go a long way for the, the, the medium support team. That's great. 
That's great. That makes a lot of sense. Make their lives a little bit easier if things are crazy, especially I think one of the underrated things to understand is when you start the process is in addition to the things that you can own, like plan out, what are we really looking for? Write a good job description, have a good process to know what each person's screening for. Make sure what the actual process is to actually get an offer out to them. Like I was literally just talking a few minutes ago to, to somebody I mentor who is in a situation where like they, the, he was helping interview an engineering candidate and everybody liked him and now they're sitting on it. And, and I think a lot of the problem is they're not the ultimate hiring manager here. They were just involved in the process. So I think you can run into the issue where you're like, wait, who, what is the process to sign off and actually prepare an offer for this person? And who owns what parts of that? If you don't know and you wait until the candidate, you have a candidate you want to hire, you may fumble and lose that person because of something that could have been prevented. Love it. Well, sometimes like the CFO needs to sign off on the offer and no one's thinking about that and it costs yeah. you three days yeah. and that's how you lose the candidate. It's like, yep. we all knew that on the first day when we started this process. We should have, yeah. We should have, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Or what is, I know there's a number of companies that they want to make a really strong impression. So the recruiting team wants to be involved in the offer. It's, I think I saw Twilio famously sends like a gift basket along with your offer. Like why send it with FedEx when you can send a whole basket with swag and the whole thing, making you feel like you're part of the team. Like things like that are great, but you better plan ahead or that cool thing's going to show up right after they say, Hey, I signed with this other company. That's right. That's right. And one thing you're, by the way, you're hinting at this. I want to hit it directly. Yeah. Execution still beats gimmicks every day in recruiting. And a lot of times we talk to customers and they're like, this is how we close a talent. Our CEO talks to them and then our board member talks to them and then an investor talks to them. And, and our question is like, why, what are we selling? Right. At that point, because if the, you have the job they want, you don't have to do those things. If you're a startup and they want to work in a startup, like you're already 60% of the way there in that discussion. So I think mm-hmm. we see a lot of gimmicks that not only are they poorly executed, but the intent is it's the wrong solution to begin with. So if you're mm-hmm. one of those hiring managers, find me. I got a lot more thoughts on that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Yeah. If a manager is listening to this and they feel like they, oh man, I'm making a lot of these mistakes or I've made a lot of them and I want to do better in the future. Like where can they start to level up their skills? Like how can someone go from being like, man, I've just been winging it and I'm now realizing that winging it isn't cutting it. Uh, a lot of these mistakes and issues are, are resonating. Like where can they go to start to go deeper from what we've talked about uh, today? Where can they start to learn to get better at this beyond just, I think we've given them a lot of good boxes checking things to think about but like each one of those frankly we could probably do a whole episode on like each one of those things individually so where can they go to start to learn more and start to grow their skills realizing that if you're a manager hiring is never going away you will always be hiring for the rest of your career that's right yeah and i love this question because there's the every hiring manager i've met with always has a tool about tool belt when i meet them and one of the things we do is to point that out the number one thing hiring managers can do to improve, if you ask me, is start with the most basic things. And it sounds trite, but I'll say them. Listening, like listening skills, really, Jason. Like yeah. market information, yeah. candidates and recruiters. Having an open mindset mm-hmm. and a level of determination wrapped around this work. And mm-hmm. I'd, like, I'd like to put in is, let's say you're the director of product management, okay? Mm-hmm. and I asked you to give me a product roadmap over the next 90 days. My assumption is I would get something very thoughtful and broken mm-hmm. down and sequenced with dependencies, et cetera, for yeah. product. 
And then if I ask you for your hiring plan, all of a sudden I get a napkin on it, a napkin <laughs> with some scribbles, right? And so the yeah, point yeah. we try to make time manage is like, look, you have crazy skills for solving problems. Let's apply those skills to this problem and take this problem serious and understand that it's very valuable when you solve it. And just that mind, mindset shift is going to take folks listening to this to the next level. I think from there, how do you continuously learn develop and integrate your hiring practices is the same way we do most things. Finding material online or through your network and mm -hmm. finding a way to put it in play. For me, I find that Twitter is actually very helpful for content like this. The way that tweet threads have begun and you can find leaders, whether that's founders or by function. I, don't, I love plugging you, Jason, because I point everyone to you who's interested in product management and leadership because of how you structure the content. If I'm someone in product management who wants to be a better product manager tomorrow, I can go look up one of your two tweets that are pinned right now and yeah. I can break that into an action plan and I can go get better. And so I really find Twitter as a good as a content as a good content place more so than LinkedIn. Reddit is another place where you can find a lot of great content. Mm -hmm. My my advice for this is to have a topic in mind though if you're going to go hunting. So for example, yeah. let's give you one: top grading. If you're a new hiring manager, it's you probably will have someone in your network recommend that you do top. I would not recommend you do that. We don't have enough time on the call to explain why, unfortunately, yeah. but you could very easily go research and make a decision by searching top grading on Reddit or Twitter right now. And, and so I think that's where I would say, talk to your friends, develop your baseline knowledge, and yep. then let's move over to these content platforms. Do you have any favorite people who in particular uh, tweet a lot about uh, hiring that people should follow if they are on Twitter? My favorites right now, um, I love following Aileen Lerner from interviewing.io because she's built an interviewing platform. It's piece of technology, but she releases data all the time from it that mm -hmm. is awesome, insightful data. You can't yeah. really get anywhere else. And it's A-L-I-N-E for those of you out there. Yeah. And I really am following Arlen right now as well because of Hire Runner, her startup that she's building in the inclusion mm -hmm. space. And just nice. she's clearly taking a radical approach. She's building a recruiting startup and somebody, you know, put on Twitter, hey, I replied two months ago, I haven't heard back. And who responded in seven minutes? Her. Her response, 10 out of 10. And I was just like, yeah. look, if you're like a hiring person, you, you have no excuse because she's running a company and doing a bunch of other things. And she still read a tweet and responded yeah. to, to the applicant, just one applicant. So those are the folks I get really excited about. I'll send a follow-up. There are some funny recruiters you should all follow if you're hiring managers because yep. they'll save you from making mistakes. But Joel is one of them and I forget his last name now. So I'll follow up. But he's Cool. Great. Yeah, yeah. These are the kind of things we love to put in the show notes because we know people are hungry for that kind of like further learning and reading to build on it because this gets them excited and interested and then they want to go deeper. I appreciate that. We'll make sure to put those in the show notes. Cool. cool. Thinking about the big picture then, what's the first thing they should do right now if they realize the recruiting process is a mess or they're going to be hired for the first time soon? Like, how do you get started? Because this can feel like a mountain of a lot of things to change and try out and learn about. So, so like, how do you get started? I'm about to hire my first person or my current process, I realize is just a disaster and I should light the whole thing on fire. How do you, how do you rebuild or get so started good. and take that? What is that first step? Yeah, I, I'd be a bit cheeky here. I think about this like rapid prototyping okay. just to borrow from our friends in product and engineering. Okay, let's play it out. I'm a hiring manager. I have a business need, so I'm going to hire someone right now for that business need, and I want to be efficient and effective in this process. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take this job that I want to fill or this process that I want to vet, 
to either one of your examples. Yeah. And I'm going to reach out to a small cluster of people. Now, if you have a vast network, you can go there. If you're brave and you're not afraid to link, not, you're not afraid to use LinkedIn, I would challenge you to go to people you don't know. And here's the idea. I'm a new director of product. I'm hiring my first lead product manager. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on LinkedIn every morning for about 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to plan to do this for two weeks. I'm going to go on LinkedIn every morning for 10 to 15 minutes. And every uh, morning I'm going to look for three to five people that are really interesting to me for this role. That, I, that I'm hiring for. I don't know for sure, but I, there's a few reasons why I may think they're interesting. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to send them a really simple note saying, hey, I'm about to open a role. Mm -hmm. One of my methods, one of my tactics here is to network quickly with a few folks who look good for the role, mm -hmm. to share what I'm thinking, to get feedback from the market ahead of all the interviewing. Yeah. Right. And you're going to send that message and you're going to go back to work, but you're going to do that every morning for a week. And over the next week, you're going to have either responses or calls that you set up to talk with these folks. And you're going to have the same conversation that you're having in your head, only you're going to have it with a real human that's out in the market right now that could be good for your role. We don't know. And I think that there's a couple of call-outs here. One, notice we're being really transparent when we reach out to people. Yeah. We're not saying, hey, we're interviewing. We're not interviewing. We're saying, hey, we're, we are going to be opening a job, but we're not yet, and I'd love to get ahead of that. If you tell folks that, they'll get on the call knowing we don't have right. to tell them we're interviewing or not. No pressure on the call. Right. When, you get in, when you get into the call, keep it simple. Hey, thanks for making time. Like I said, I'm trying to learn before I hire for this role. Right. I'm hiring for a lead product manager. Here's how I'm going to pitch it. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Uh, what questions would you have? Did I say anything to concern? Your background looks great. I, I wish you, you would be interested in this role. Would you? Like Again, I'm not yeah. asking people to be sales folks, but... Don't be afraid to ask the honest question. That's your warm up. Right. And so I, I would encourage, it doesn't matter if you've hired before or not, if you haven't hired recently for the role that you're hiring for, the market moves very fast. And I would encourage mm -hmm. you to do some rapid prototyping before you start putting stakes in the ground. That's great. That's really great. Idea. So if you're messaging three to five people for a week, that's somewhere between 15 and 25 messages. How many how many people should they expect they talk to and how many is enough uh, for this kind of like uh, iteration, do you think? Yeah, and so again, I think if you're sending 15 to 20 messages, depending on your profile and who you're met, you're gonna see 25 to 40% of those come back and say, sure, I'll take a call. So if you're gonna, if you send 20 over a week or so and you get four or five conversations, that's money in the bank. The amount of data from those calls is great. Even one call though, Mm -hmm. would be exponentially better than none. Even the lowest performing conversion is still worth 15 minutes a morning for a week. Sure, sure. That's a very good point. Cool. And so last question, you know, what's one simple thing any manager, regardless of where they're at in their interview and recruiting skills, what's one thing they can to get better at hiring and recruiting based on what we talked about today? Like regardless of how good a rec recruiter you are and hiring manager you are, what's one thing they should think about doing today when they take their headphones or their earbuds out? Yeah, man. I, again, I hate to be so simple, but it's just, just showing up is such a big deal in hiring, right? Like not canceling interviews last minute, not rescheduling, but showing up to meet your recruiting team every week, even if the pipe isn't super full. Just show up and listen, really listen. And I'm saying this because I feel like too many hiring managers want to be experts before it's like they want to run before they before they walk or they crawl and say in my experience the ones that have been willing to just show up and listen first mm -hmm. 
the, the velocity comes and they've gone on to build massive teams, organizations, exits, all the things. But if you walk yeah. in the room and you're just talking to people, like you're not going to win this game. That's great. Awesome. Aaron, this has been an awesome discussion. Is there any other advice you really wanted to share today or anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about today? Recruiter is the hardest job to fill in the market right now. So <laughs> if you're a hiring manager and you don't have a recruiting team, I wouldn't expect it to change overnight. I think the second thing is hiring is really the first part of the equation. What you do with them once you hire them is everything. Again, I fell in love with Lighthouse and in one-on-ones from a management perspective so long ago with Jason because that is how you actually nurture the hard work of your recruiting team. That is how you actually show them you care. <laughs> you keep treating that employee great when they get there and you invest and you help them grow. So I, I guess my biggest piece of advice is don't get caught up in all the hiring as, as important as I think it is. Invest in your team and, and keep doing the right things that way. Yeah, certainly replacing people gets expensive fast. So you want to have a good process. So you bring in the right person. But then once you have them, the real work begins to build that relationship and make them successful. Uh, because nothing's more expensive than going through a haphazard hiring process and then having to repeat that process a few months later for the exact same role. That's right. That's right. Cool. Aaron, thank you again for joining us today. Be sure to check out the show notes. We'll have links to some of the stuff that Aaron told us about, some tips for, for further eating and for you to be able to find Aaron. And so this has been the Creating High Performing Teams podcast, and we look forward to the next episode, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks.